All right, we in here. Back at it for another run. Kyle Means here. Josh, Joshua M. Hicks right there on, on one wing. Chris Pennon on the other. Three man weaving it for now. But we got a special guest coming up in moments. Seth Rosenthal of uh, Secret Base, uh, SB Nation. And um, we're going to talk about uh, those cool videos that 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 they do over there, and uh, this mini series, I guess, that they got coming out on uh, the 2016 Cavs, and well, I guess the the Cavs history of the Cavaliers and their, uh, you know, how it led up to their record, uh, you know, their history making win in 2016, uh, you know, getting their first title ever and everything, but. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that and talk about uh, some of the stuff we normally talk about here on on the Runner with War show, talking about the playoffs and everything. And, uh, you know, lots been going on in the league. It's been a pretty wild 24 hours, um, you know, looking back on it. You know, we, we go from playoffs and everything. We go from, and uh, why am I hearing myself now? I know you yeah. got the echo coming up. It's all good. All right. Okay, but uh, yeah, we you know we go from the the game in in Brooklyn, which was a as a hell of a you know uh, a, a hell of a change up in that game where you saw the Bucks you know really jump out and and, and grab control of that game, but all the while you know uh, the KD was weaving this masterpiece of a performance. That uh, you know, allowed his team to take that game in the end, and you know, take back control of that series. And we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, you know, since then, you've had coaches being relieved of their duties. We've had injury, big, big injury uh, news, big COVID news, COVID striking again like a thief in the night, and uh. You know, it's just a lot of craziness in the league right now. Uh, we want to just start off, guys. What what has been like the the big thing that has jumped out at you in the past uh, twenty four hours with with all this happening? Man, the in, the injuries for sure. My guys and I were talking about that most of the day. Um, it's 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 so sudden. It seems so sudden. And I think it, it's part of that for me because I didn't walk through the rest of the regular season. I know Zach Levine was out for a while with the Bulls. Um, Jamal Murray's been out for a while for the for the Nuggets. But it just seemed like a spate of things popped up uh, almost all at once. Like Chris Paul is out now, and he's head of the Players Association, so I don't think there's any question, unless I'm wrong, as to whether he took the vaccine or not. It's just one of those cases that slipped through. Um, Kawhi still dealing with that degenerative issue with his leg and the ACL injury. And then uh, now the hamstring injuries um, for James Harden. So it, it's KD versus the world in Brooklyn. And some of these teams that you thought might have just been kind of playing it out uh, with Embiid with, um, dealing with his is a groin injury, kind of like a latent groin injury and knee injury. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I wouldn't have picked either of those teams in that series to make the finals, considering the way the, the Nets and Bucks were slugging it out. But now Atlanta 
might be the team most primed to surprise some people and sneak into the finals. Well, they're they're the team that's dealt with the least injuries. That's not really dealt with any injury issues. You know, the the Bucks have had a lesser degree. They've been the next healthier team, you know, but they they've had they have had DiVincenzo go out, but he has a he's not that essential to them. But you know, as we've seen by their play, they've been too inconsistent. So I don't know, man. It's yeah, it, it's it's a toss up right now with all that's going on because we've got so many players. More than like usually in every in any playoff season, any NBA season, you have one or two teams that are affected by a devastating injury. But this has been more than any season ever, you know, at a at a ridiculous level. You know, um, I'm a quote this uh, Malika Andrews tweet from earlier today. Uh, Kawhi, his, you know, he marked the, he marked, he's marked as the eighth different all-star to miss a playoff game this year. That already is the most in the NBA history. And uh, Paul, if he goes out with this COVID stuff would be the ninth. And on the others uh, already down or been down at some point, AD, James Harden, Donovan Mitchell, Mike Conley, who still hasn't returned, uh, hasn't played since the first round and still hasn't returned to the Jazz Clippers series, Jalen Brown, Joel Embiid, and Kyrie Irving. So we've seen with several of those players how much their loss impacted their teams because their teams got eliminated. And we are seeing right now how the Nets have been affected by their injuries, and you know Chris Paul, if he has to miss any time, he's every, he's everything for the Suns. And uh, the Jazz have had to deal with Mitchell, and they've had to deal with Conley. So they're not at full; they haven't been at full strength at any point against the Clippers. So you know, to that degree, Josh, you know, people are already sort of mentioning the the asterisk thing, and you know, I, I don't know if I would go that far, but. You know, in your mind, you know, are, do you think that we're seeing uh, a less, you know, uh, respectable process of of uh, elimination here? Or are, we, are we just seeing a, you know, uh, 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 you know, well, I guess is this is this really a, a legit playoff series that we're seeing here, or is this just a, uh, you know, a, a fight to the finish, like you know? What are your thoughts on it? I think we're at the sign of the times, which is the NBA league now has to adjust from its normal traditions to make things fit for their players. COVID's through such a loop that it changed the entire flow of how an NBA season was supposed to operate. And I think all the injuries piling up is just the after fact of what that change took place regarding all the NBA players being out for months and then going straight from there to the bubble and then playing a super intense schedule within the bubble. And then for most teams, especially they went to the NBA Finals, you only had 70 days or, or so to prepare for an upcoming season with the draft in the middle of it, with free agency in the middle of it, and then tried to squeeze in with no practice time, no real training camp, no real rest for the most part, especially for those top teams that, are, that, are not, that we see are now not in the playoffs playoff anymore. Um, you're talking about 72 games in a span of four or five months. I mean, and then to jump from there straight to the playoffs, 
And as soon as the playoffs is over, I believe a week later is the NBA draft. So it's like – it's. Hey, you're going you're to have stars getting into the, uh, the Olympic Games too. Yeah, and stars in the Olympics as well. So I think this is just the aftermath of what it's what how much the bodies really took from the bubble all the way up until now at such a fast-paced rate that these bodies are finally starting to wear down. And then it's wearing down to a point, especially if you have COVID combined with injury, it's taking players out like crazy. And I think it's now it's time to where if the NBA wants to get back on schedule, they may have to treat a season very similar to like a lockout year where you may have a little bit of training camp time, but you need to have a lesser amount of games with more space of rest in between to get back into the swing of things before you can have a full season. And also that way you can limit the chances of these players getting injured on such a high rate, which is what we're experiencing right now. Um, answering earlier uh, to your question about what impacted the most, I think for me it was Chris Paul, just because Chris Paul can never catch a break. He's been through so much. Every time, especially as of late since he left the Clippers, Going to Houston and then going back to going to Phoenix every year is always uh, Oklahoma City is always something. He's always getting injured. He's always, you know, missing key games. And now that he finally has broken through, and even this playoff series with his shoulder injury, it's still affect. You know, he's still technically injured per se, but he's fighting through like he normally do. And now that he gets to the Western Conference Finals, a position he's never been in in his career. Now he may not yeah, he's been there once. Yeah. yeah. Clippers got there and then choked. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, right. Well, no, twice. Twice did. No, no, he went there once. No, 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 no. <laughs> he, went there, he went there with Houston. Clippers never yeah. been to the conference. Right. Oh. Remember the game seven with the – he got he got injured for the game seven and they missed like – Oh, with the Rockets, yeah. Yeah, right. the Rockets, yeah. So, yeah, that, that was the year that – Really, he should have. If he didn't get injured that year, they they likely get in the finals, and that was really the you no, know, really a tragic year there. I wouldn't be so resigned to tragedy for him in this situation, unless we see you know we we have to see how this pl- plays out in the next week or so. There's a chance, given that he had like uh Chris said, he's he's likely been vaccinated, so he may. The process, he may be able to speed through the process a little more than, uh, you know, had he not been, you know, vaccinated or something. So, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm I'm, going to resign some hope for him there. But um, I I just want to get back, though, to the injury stuff and, you know, not to be, you know, before we bring Seth in, you know, not to be, you know, Mr. 20, uh, you know, Mr. You know, twenty. You know, Heinz. Mr. Was that Captain Hindsight in that South Park episode? I don't know y'all watch South Park, but yeah, not to be that guy, but you know, LeBron is being that guy though as well right now. But uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm get to his quote in a minute. But I think, like you said, Josh, that the the NBA changing up at least for a season what they were doing, it should have happened this year. You know, there was really no reason for them to play before, say, February. They play like three months of games in front of nobody just so they could satisfy the TV partners. And, you know, that's really the only reason why they played games in December and January. Well, let me, let me ask you all this right quick. And I'm saying, 
No problem, Chris. But I'm, I'm, I'll let you go. But I'm just saying, the only reason they did it was to satisfy the TV partners. And what they did was run down a bunch of the league's elite players who, like, like we said, just played going into October of the previous year. And there's, there's, there's been no real break for these players. And now you got a bunch of injuries occurring to tendons and all these things where, you know, it's just, it's, it's strictly, it's, you know, we're not seeing broken bones or concussions. And that stuff is not happening to these players because, you know, the, the game doesn't allow it. But the game will run, you will run your, it will run you down with your legs and your tendons and stuff. You know, if you don't have any type of rest, and I say just to quote LeBron, the way he went off uh, earlier today, you know, uh, talks about rim, you know, talks about rim rest, and you know, uh, you know, this is, you know, I hate, I, I speak for the health of all our players. I hate to see this many injuries this time of the year. Sorry, fans, you guys should be seeing all your fate. No, he's you know you can see on his Twitter what he spoke, what he spoke about in regards to you know being able to see all this ahead of time, and um, you know I, I you have to agree with him in, in my opinion. But uh, go ahead, Chris. My my only question is right. You, you under, I think you said it already, but what did you expect the NBA to do? You know. Not only do they have the contract to that yeah, they I have, mean, yeah. I, I, I agree with you. you know? I agree with you, but sometimes you have to risk something and you have to take leadership. You know, you have you if if these things you have to listen to your players. That's that's what LeBron is saying today. Even he wasn't being listened to in this whole process, and he was in you no, know, he was of the thought of in mind, and I'm sure many others were that if we keep running ourselves down with only a month and a half of break in between, then, you know, we're going to, it's going to have an effect on the players and thus have an effect on the product and of the play and uh, that we want to have out there. And it's happening at the worst time, at the worst possible time, the most important time, which is playoff. So but we we're can't have less playoffs than we should because I'm just saying we, we can't expect that extra month and a half off. We can't expect the money making entity not to not to go for making money, you know, and and we would watch it. Like if we, if the product's out there, we're out here to watch it. I'm sorry, for, I'm sorry for jumping in. I just I just wanted to make that point. They're gonna no, go yeah, for I, it because they know people right. watch. You're right. You're right. You know, it, and it, if as much as they say that they want to keep the players fresh, they want to they want to make money. They these guys are meat grinders. You know, these guys are these guys are little bits in the meat grinder. Even the best, even the absolute best guys, are are grist for the mill. And it's you know if we if we want it, we 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 got to remember that when we're talking about stuff like this. The Chris Paul thing aside, because I think that we're all we're all chanting that if we just go around right now. And mm -hmm. it's at, at this point, at this point, you can catch COVID no matter what. We That's all do that. It's just trying to defend yourself the best you yeah. can. Chris says he hadn't done nothing out of the out of the way out of out of line that is allowed. You know he ain't been out there coughing in anybody's mouth and tongue <laughs> kissing random strangers and stuff. He's just been living his life, and that's that's a lesson I think for all of us to take. Like in in most cases, you probably should keep your mask on. Stay, you know, keep your mask on. You keep uh give people six feet and try to you know. 
try to take care of yourself because this stuff is not over yet. But uh, let, I, I got we got Seth here waiting. Seth Rosenthal, our special guest tonight from uh, Secret Base, the uh, video arm of SB Nation. Seth, man, we uh, thank you for joining us, a first-time runner. How you doing, brother? Thanks a lot for having me, guys. I'm doing well. Yeah, Chris, we got to thank Chris as well for helping book this. He previously previously appeared on on uh, Chris's show, uh, What's Good Radio. So uh, I, I I look, you know, Seth is Seth is a guy who I'm I'm I admire your work. I'll speak uh, a little bit about you know what you what you do and uh, at, with uh, Secret Base and everything, but. You know, I've been watching the beef history videos and stuff like that for a while, so I've admired that. But knowing that you you uh, had a connection with one of my guys, I definitely wanted to get you on, and it, that uh, that expedient, you know, that expedited when uh, I saw the video, this preview for this Cavs series that you're about to put out, mm-hmm. and uh, really interesting stuff too. We, I think, I'm gonna try to play a, a segment of the. Uh, the uh, trailer that you guys put out in a little bit, but um, before we go, I guess before we go into all that with uh, you know your work with Secret Base and everything, you know if you want, you know we we've been going and going in on this stuff with the injuries and everything in the NBA. You know you're an NBA follower. Uh, you know what's your thoughts on this? Like, uh, you know how, how you know do you feel that we're getting uh, a lesser version of the NBA playoffs than we would normally get because of this? Do you think this is something that could have been foreseen or, you know, what, what, what's been your reaction to all this? I mean, it's, it's always a long season. We always get a worse playoffs than we could have. There's I've, I can't remember a single postseason that didn't have one or two teams where you're like, ah, if they didn't have, you know, this injury, maybe it could have been different. Yeah. Um, but this is, I, I believe objectively, like I've, I've already, I've seen numbers going around about the number of all-stars that have been missing from their teams that have missed postseason games. It's worse than usual. Um, and it, it could have been seen coming because people did see it coming. Um, I, you know, Katie Heindel wrote something great months ago about, I heard you guys talking before I came on about how like soft tissue injuries were happening more during the season, the kinds of things that result from wear and tear. Um, and so, yeah, people who were chronically just putting more weight, more, uh, more, you know, percussion on their bodies than they usually do. Statistically, we're going to some some of them were going to break more than usual. Um, and I, you know, I wasn't inside the, the Players Association and league meetings that led to the season being played the way it was. Um, but they agreed to do that um, and they had to know that something like this might happen. And it's, you know, I, I was asked at some point recently whether I feel like I'm being cheated by that. And like, no, it's not about me, but it sucks. It's not, it's not quite as fun um, when so many great players are missing. And that's always the case in the postseason. but this is worse than usual. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's it's definitely it's, it's hard in, in that way, you know. Being, you know, like I said, we've all seen different playoffs play out in different ways, and you know, some key players miss out every playoffs. But to have this wave, like I said, uh, 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 
never, you know, a, an unprecedented number of all stars in particular. It's not like just role players and stuff. Like, like I said, with the Bucks, though, know, DiVincenzo, we could deal with him being out for the Bucks. But when you have, you know, uh, Kawhi Leonard being out and Chris Paul potentially and, you know, uh, Joel Embiid, like the, these are the players who are going to make the difference in, uh, you know, Anthony Davis, of course, what his impact with the leg. These are the guys who really make the difference along this road. And, um, you know, I, I was I was definitely of the mind of thinking that, you know, the Lakers were going to pull out that series with the Suns, but it, it seemed to come down to, to Anthony Davis's uh, health, you know, being affecting that. And, you know, um, you know, with the Nets, you know, would would this series already be over with the Bucks if if their big three was healthy for all those guys, you know, you, you, you know, you just, you can never, you can't tell that you can't, you know, you, you have to assume. And uh, that's, those, those are the storylines that we're going to have to go with. And, you know, uh, Seth, you know, you're big on storylines. You're big on history and how it plays out and how, you know, certain subtle changes can affect so many things like, like, uh, you know, dominoes falling, and uh, so many of those stories are, are told uh, across the videos that you help produce. Uh, you know, I, I want to go back to the story that was told last night. You know, we we got a little bit into it with the Brooklyn, uh, the Brooklyn Milwaukee game, and you know, first give give your reaction on that, man. What what do you think of you know uh, the uh, the triple double, forty nine points, forty eight. Played all forty-eight minutes. It's just a miraculous performance, and you know it—it it, it seems like the sort of thing that you guys may do a rewinder video on in the future, man. Do you, do you think that might be the case? That game was almost like Durant was almost too dominant for it to end up being a like with rewinder. <laughs> what it often is is there is a moment, a single shot, you know, the final seconds that subsume the rest of the narrative. So like. This one shot went in, and as time passes, the rest of the narrative, you know, this guy was terrible in the first quarter. These people were traded for each other a year ago. All that kind of stuff gets collapsed. Whereas this, like, there wasn't one game. I mean, he didn't hit that, hit that one incredible shot uh, that what put them up four in the final minute. But, like, that was, that was a performance. That wasn't just a shot. And I, I think when people remember that, they'll remember the whole game. But um, I should say, I, I need to admit that, at the beginning of the third quarter, their bucks were still up pretty big and I felt myself falling asleep. And I was like, well, worst thing that happens is the Nets, you know, have this like historic Kevin Durant performance that turns the game around and I totally miss it. And then I woke up this morning and that's exactly what had happened. So I, I caught up, I watched the highlights, but uh, I, I did not get to see that live. And that was my mistake. <laughs> Playoffs are long. Yeah. We, we all have those moments too. Where it's like, you know, you wind up missing an all-time great performance just because you're sleepy or, you know, you had to do something stupid that, you know, your girlfriend got you into or something. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we all got those stories. Man. So, you know, that's what, that's what, uh, you know, that's what those late uh, reruns on TNT are for. You got to watch out, you know, about one or two o'clock in the morning. They'll show. Yes, the best because I, I'm getting old. I can't do these West Coast games anymore. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you're, you're in New York, man. You got the, the three hour delay. We just got two hours. Ten thirty tip off is br like when I, I'm a huge, you know, I'm a Knicks fan, and when the Knicks are playing in Phoenix, it's not happening. I'll watch it in the morning. 
<laughs> can't even make it to the first quarter at this point. <laughs> yeah, and we we sort of got a little break with that this year because it's more uh, uh, more mountain based, more mountain. But they're still starting later. Like I think the game tonight in in Utah is starting at nine. When it, it could have started an hour earlier. Like why why they started so late? It's the only game of the night. Or it's the second game, I should say. Excuse me. Yeah. But you know, I don't know. <laughs> We we gotta we're gonna go back to tape delay, man. <laughs> some people they some people are worried that it will be a tape delay because of the matchups this year. Like if it's Utah and Atlanta, we may get a tape delay. Oh, that's wrong, <laughs> man. Atlanta's Atlanta's growing too much for that. There's too many people in Atlanta for, for them to accept that. No, not <laughs> yet. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. You guys want to jump in on anything right quick before we go into the uh, the SB stuff? Yeah, I mean, K, I mean, K, KD is just unreal. Like that's just that's just the bottom line. Like all you can say is just his name, Kevin Durant. Like, he he literally put he, he literally put into display. Don't disrespect my name and put me in the same category with Giannis. Like that's what that was about. <laughs> that was what part of what that was about. Like forty nine point triple double, and at the efficient rate that he did it at with not so crazy amount of shots and having almost 20 rebounds to go along with those 10 assists. Like, you can't tell me that Kevin Durant's game has evolved to a point where he's, even though he may not be the full all-around player that he be, that, you know, like LeBron, that people like LeBron James are, he's developed his skill sets to where he can now do some of those things at an, at an enough rate that can help get your team to the next level, especially if it is necessary. And that's what we've seen tonight, or at least that uh, last night with uh, Kevin Durant. Like He's shown that I'm, I'm the man now. This is my time. I've took them in a way. I'm taking the mantle from LeBron in these postseasons, and I'm going to make sure that, you know, I am the guy that has arrived in a sense, even though we know Kevin Durant has arrived pretty much for a long time. I think that the, the really biggest thing of that game, though, was his draft teammate, and Jeff Green dropping 28 and having seven straight threes. Like, that's not part of Jeff Green's game. That's, that's you know, that when we say Jeff Green, you think about. But he was efficient, highly efficient from three. And pretty much the only other player that really helped bring Brooklyn along over the hump to even keep them in the game for Kevin Durant to take over the way that he did. So for Jeff Green and Kevin Durant to score 80 points together almost – of, of, of that team's total and just keep this team afloat of, of, of for at least up to game seven, maybe. I mean, hey, that's with no James Harden, much of no James Harden either. Yeah, that's that's a, that's going to be a performance for the record books. That, that's a, that's going to be a defining moment for Kevin Durant that we're going to come, come back and watch and say, you want to know when Kevin Durant arrived in Brooklyn? This is why. This is the moment right here. And that's arguably one of the best performances between the Knicks and the Nets that from a New York perspective, that's been able to perform in a playoff setting like that. That's indelible. Um, I was at the White Sox game, so I didn't get a chance to see it, but I, I watched highlights. I watched some of the game back on the late feed and you, you hear the greats talk about how in terms of defense, how they had to, they were utility guys. They filled in holes, Jordan and bird and, um, uh, even LeBron, he like fills, he'll pick up. Like maybe they won't score in the first quarter, but they'll distribute. 
they'll get rebounds, they'll start breaks, things like that. When you play 48 minutes, you can't hold anything back per se. You can't leave anything in the tank because you have to empty the tank. And what so what impressed me most when I see those clips and the bits that I saw was him playing help side defense at the rim and altering shots and blocking shots and robbing Giannis in possessions where they needed the most, where he is the most tired, where he had the least amount of energy left. And all that while putting up 10 assists, 17 boards, and 49 points. Um, it's it's the semifinals, right? They're not at the conference finals. So even in the even the numbers as staggering as they are have to be uh, blunted somewhat because you haven't reached that pinnacle moment yet of the of the postseason but you think you think about playoff triple doubles in in key games you think about Clyde Frazier in game seven in 1970 putting up 36 um or even LeBron with the 48 special that knocked out the Pistons in in 05 Mm -hmm. and that that was to that point that Pistons team was on the path of being maybe a top two team of the decade just the way that they smothered teams. They they destroyed teams defensively. And LeBron, young LeBron, put up 48 on them. And so this isn't necessarily the same team, but you have a guy like Giannis. You have Brooke Lopez, who's still serviceable. And Chris Middleton has made his name this year uh, going off of last year. And the Bucks, the Bucks had that game in the bag. They were up 16 and a half with a weakened Harden, no Kyrie, and just KD with with the rest of the cast. No, you know these are NBA players, but it's the rest of the cast at that point in this era of the NBA. Stars make your team, and Kevin Durant took it on his shoulders. Um, I think KD is always going to get a bad rap for for leaving Oklahoma City. It, it it's just the case. I still feel some sort of way about it because I loved that team and I wanted them to win because they were so exciting and and um, they just flaunted their style. And then when he left, it kind of drove a hole into a lot of people's hearts. They wanted KD to be not only this new type of just ridiculous player physically gifted, but the guy that did it on his own. And he's not necessarily that guy, but him doing it almost on his own last night with Jeff Green, I feel like for me, which doesn't matter, it doesn't matter how I feel, but it pulled back some of that feeling where I feel like KD can't, he can't do it when it really, if he needs to do it by himself, in a, in a moment, I don't know if he can. And this is, man, like you said, Josh, when he, he told the reporters, he's like, you know who I am. I'm Kevin Durant. And then he went out and showed people who he was in case they didn't hear him. That's incredible. He's been, he's been, he's been waiting for this chance. Like, you know, whether you talk about him, uh, you know, he, he saying that quote that he definitely said to Jay Will about him <laughs> And Giannis, he, you know, he tried to say that he didn't say it, but he definitely said it. But, you know, when it comes to that or when it comes to, you know, people, he, we know the way he takes disrespect in general, you know, by his, the way he acts online and everything and the way he's acted towards people like Michael Rappaport, who's probably the only guy who still doesn't believe in him after last night. And, you know, we, you know, he's, he's just, he's just built, like I said, he's been waiting for that moment and he, you know, in the wake of what everything that happened with, with him leaving Oklahoma City and the history that you give Chris, you know, so a lot of people will never forgive that stuff. But I think go even going back to 
his time with, with Golden State. He asserted himself in certain games and showed, you know, the, the only thing was that he had that cast around him so people could, you know, argue that, well, he didn't really do it by himself. But he showed himself in certain games. Like, in particular, I, I think the one series where they beat the Cavs like five was a 17. Uh, you know, that would he, – he was – deadly in that series and you know he i always give I always give him the biggest props for what he tried to do in the losing effort against toronto and when he tore that achilles and you know he showed a lot of heart in that series and that effort as well so i'm i've always been on the side of you know not questioning his heart and his willingness to devote himself to the game and um you know this I think all that came together last night and you know really uh made for a historic performance that we gotta bow down to. So, you know, you know, give it up for KD. I think, you know, whether he wins the series for that team or not, you know, he has the excuse, of course, of his of his other two guys sort of falling by the wayside in this series as well. If they don't happen to if, you know if they happen to lose this series, but you know, uh this is this, you know, win or lose. Like I think he made an impact for himself just with that performance last night. And I want to transition that into something. Another guy who uh, has not had the best of luck in the postseason, but I, I want to do a quick discussion because I want to do this for a couple shows now on his playoff legacy. And Seth, I want to bring you into this. I think it's good that you're here because. I watched last night a video that you did, the Rewinder video, on his uh, first big playoff moment when he made that uh, game-winning shot, game six of the 15 uh, first round, uh, uh, Portland against uh, Houston in the first round. I'm talking about Dame Lillard. Now, uh, there's a great, like I said, great Rewinder video. You can search it on second base on YouTube about that whole moment. And as Seth described, the series, it, it, it keys in on, on one particular shot, you know, and uh, particularly in the basketball game series and, uh, you know, brings all the backstory, you know, out from that from that moment, everything that led up to that moment. And it, you know, ends the video ends with that with that shot, that moment, uh, you know, moment in uh, I think you guys say like a moment in history. You know, and, and and it's really just well, very well done. Whether you know the history already or not, you get a lot out of watching these videos. And, uh, you know, I just want to it, – it's interesting to me just, you know, how so much respect and, and appreciation people have for Lillard. He has that moment in his playoff history. He has the moment where he took out uh, Oklahoma City a couple years later and basically ended Westbrook's time in Oklahoma City you know, waved them off. And, you know, I, I'm just thinking, like, when you when you have a playoff history like that, and even going up to this year where he had the – he went bonkers against against Denver in the first round as well, but still just couldn't pull out the series. You know, is that a guy who you think has already written his playoff history because he has those two indelible moments, you know, buffered by a lot of great play in general or do you think that he's he's that he just that he really does need that 
if not a playoff, not a championship, you know, uh, proper, uh, at least a championship effort, a championship moment where he actually plays in the finals or something. Does he need that? Or do you think his playoff history is already written in stone? I mean, he's got he's got plenty of career left. And it definitely, you know, like, like you said, Rewinder has a tendency to sort of unpack this, but I, I don't get to define people's legacies. But um, what does help people have that indelible, tangible legacy long-term is the kinds of things one would make an episode of Rewinder about. The very specific moments, the easy things you can point to to reduce to sort of tokens someone's playoff career and having hit a shot like that one having you know having being able to turn your playoff career into images and memes and stuff and him waving goodbye and you know simple numeric achievements like the number of threes like you mentioned that he hit uh in the playoff series this year you know there there's any number of guys who's careers end without a championship whose careers end even without having made it to the finals. But especially if they've managed to hit the shot, if they've managed to have the stat line, if they've managed to do something that's very simply communicated that represents how excellent they were in the playoffs, then, then that's a legacy too. I can, you know, there's any number of guys who, I mean, for me, I'm I'm a Knicks fan, Patrick Ewing hardly ever, got to play in the finals um, and obviously didn't win a championship, but there are very specific, you know, visceral, tangible memories that I think even non-Knicks fans would recognize um, because Ewing had some incredible playoff battles, some amazing series and some really important moments in games. And so, you know, that there's a ton of value in that too. And like, at least in Portland, I mean, I guess things could get weird still, but Damian Lillard is a hero in Portland, no matter what happens from yeah. here, you know, even though he's never had the full team around him. And so, um, you know, I'm, I am personally not all that compelled by, by legacies, by that kind of storyline. Like, you know, does someone count at this level or this level? It's, it's games and moments and performances. And like Lillard is, is like I said, is maybe halfway, a little more than halfway into his career. And he's already done so much. Um, and it's cool. It's awesome. I, I hope he gets to be part of a team, whether it's in Portland or elsewhere, that gives him a better chance of giving it his all the way he has in some series and then advancing because there are people around him. Because, you know, the one thing about Lillard is that it's hard to point to many moments or series where the Blazers really should have gone farther, but he failed them. That that hasn't really happened. He's not, he's just not yeah. that kind of player. He, in, in most cases, he's been all they got, <laughs> you know, so he's, he's, it's been the opposite, you know, they, they wouldn't have nearly got as far as they did without him. You know, you could look at the year when they got to the, the Western conference finals against uh Golden state, like, you know, what else did they have, but in, in, the, in that run, you know, but yeah, definitely. I, it, Josh and Chris, if you want to jump in on that, I, I want to mention too, like, you know, we we all know about this whole rings, uh, you know, uh, culture and and the the way that this is permeated the whole discussion about players and all time greatness and stuff in the NBA. 
and you know, you know, we can talk about the effect that certain people have had on it, be it Jordan or LeBron or whatever. But you know, when you look at the history of the game and the history of the NBA, you know, only a few certain teams have really, you know, dominated every every era. There's been like only a couple teams that have really uh, dominated that era and took most of the rings for themselves. So in every era, you have to have these guys where, like a Patrick Ewing, like you say, Seth, like a, you know, a Reggie Miller in that same era, or a, you know, going back to that, you know, going back to the 80s, bridging the 90s, a Dominique Wilkins probably, or somebody, you know, who, you know, they had their great moments, but they were mostly in those first couple rounds, you know, because they couldn't get past the bigger, badder teams in their conference. You know, Jordan was like that for seven years before he broke through, you know. So, it, it you know, it, it's, it takes a lot to build that sort of team with, that can showcase an all-time great talent and allow them to, you know, have those championship moments. But just because you come up short, you know, Barkley, again, uh, we could talk about Barkley as well in that, in that category as well because Barkley is crazy because, like, you know, you see his name just pop up like who's had, you know, it, it happened last night where they were talking about uh, like a 40, a triple-double, a 40, 15, mm-hmm. some trouble, triple-double. It's like, oh, Barkley did that. Yeah, yeah, Barkley had a lot of crazy playoff performances. So, but he, you know, only got to the finals once. And he, you know, people, you know, it, now he has to, you know, take those ribs from Shaq every now and then because he Shaq got four rings and he don't, you know, but – Barkley was still was a generational player. So, you know, you, you can't take that stuff away from these guys. And it's, you know, we, we got to, you know, keep those things in mind when we talk about these talents, you know. Yeah, well, definitely. I mean, when you think about Damian Lillard and like Seth mentioned, how much he has pretty much been a hero for Portland as a whole, not just on the court, but off the court. Like when you just mentioned Dame Dollar, Dame Dollar is just, just Dame Dollar alone is a legacy setter, right? Because, you know, every every NBA player has their own little side gigs and their side careers, but Dame, Dame Dollar thrived in that career as well as the league at the same time. It's kind of unknown. So um, just from Damian Lillard being, doing everything he's done so far, he's had too many moments where, you know, that playoffs, that playoff, Moments where you just look at him and be like, no, that's Dame Dollar. That's da- that's Damian Lillard right there. Like his 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 playoff legacy for sure is cemented, whether he would whether he rings wins rings or not. But Seth brought up a good point as well, where I mean, if he if he moves out of Portland, if he somehow gets out of Portland, or Portland somehow brings him the help that he deserves, it could be that it could be cemented that much more because of the impact that he's had throughout the playoffs, going into these early rounds with. Damien, with Damian Lillard and Portland Trailblazers. And you can even mention the bubble. Like, the, the bubble wouldn't be as successful as it was if it wasn't for Damian Lillard going on a tangent, winning all those games with all those games and dropping 50 point bombs and 35, 40 point logo shots near the end of the games to bring the Portland Trailblazers from literally a playing spot, per se, when the bubble started, all the way up until I want to say the second round of the playoffs when they played the Lakers. So, you know, his, his, his legacy and his skill set and what he brought to the table for the Portland Trailblazers as a whole is cemented regardless. But I really hope that he gets the opportunity to add more to that foundation, whether it is in Portland 
or whether it is somewhere else where he can actually have a chance to win. Because currently, right now, it's not working. And I think this is the first time where he has multiple options. He can actually ask to get out of Portland without any issues, or he can actually, you know, be part of this new process where he can actually have a new coach for the first time since he's probably been in the league and, and change the direction of where this franchise really can go. So for him to be a loyal guy, I don't think he would leave Portland unless it's absolutely necessary and all the signs are there for him to go. But at least he has a chance to maybe change the direction and where this thing can go with hopefully starting with this new head coach that they're looking into hiring. So I just, I just want more from Damian Lillard. And hopefully this season, this offseason, we'll be able to give him that. And right quick, uh, that's something we, we didn't mention, like of all the, uh, the wild stuff that happened. A uh, couple coaches lost their jobs uh, within the past twenty hours as well. Uh, Scott Brooks out in D.C. and uh, uh, Stan Van down in New Orleans, and uh, the the coaching carousel is sort of speeding up. And you know, I don't know what you know impact uh, is going to have on you know the league. You know, with with these jobs, who fills them and everything. But you know, you know we're talking about a player and. In, in, uh, and, and Lillard, who's not likely to force his hand, any at least there hasn't been any smoke in that direction as far as that go. But uh, you got a lot of you know disgruntled players and disgruntled franchises out there, and they're trying to formulate something to, to get themselves, you know, get themselves back in contention. You you could look at a team like Atlanta playing now, who jumped it back into contention pretty quickly within a couple of years. And, you know, Brooklyn did. So of course they got the big, uh, the big three over there in, in, in succession, quick succession, but you know, it doesn't take, it doesn't have to take too much time, especially when you have a player, you know, a, a, an all-star an all NBA player at your disposal already in the Lillard in, in Portland or looking in, uh, in, in New Orleans where they have Ingram and uh, Zion at their disposal. Like, you know, you get the right guy there, you know, you, I guess you can make an, a, an impact quickly, but, you know, who is that guy going to be, you know? I don't know. You guys got any thoughts on that? Might not be a guy. Yep. <laughs> Good. <laughs> My guy. Might not. Might not be. Might not the time, be. The time, is, the time has slowly been approaching, and now the time has come. Um, I don't. I don't think you'll see Teresa Weatherspoon in that role. Uh, well, I haven't heard her name mentioned, but Zion came out and just said, "Hey, she's helped him a ton in his time in New Orleans." And I'm glad you mentioned the Pelicans because it's, I think it's two seasons that they should have, could have, and should have made the playoffs. The, the Pelicans have a lot of talent. They they have guys on the roster who aren't going to fit on the roster when they do make the playoffs, but they got a lot of talent in New Orleans. And I was, um, I was surprised they didn't make the playoffs in in orlando and i was surprised that they didn't make the playoffs didn't didn't even really um they didn't fade they didn't collapse they didn't make a run they just didn't make the playoffs so i um when you when you're talking about becky hammond who's seasoned under one of the best head coaches and front offices uh that we've seen in the past 30 years and is a great player in her own right and dawn staley who is pretty much the same and is beloved in the coaching ranks um, in college and in South Carolina. I think that might be a tougher sell having Don Staley leave 
because she's put on so hard for South Carolina and you still have to consider that idea of going from college to the pros and how we've seen that not work out in the past. But you got two worthwhile candidates for six jobs as well as all of the understudies who have been out there. And I, I just peeped in an ESPN article that talked about guys who were assistant head coaches, associate head coaches for years at a time before they finally got the gig and it's worked out. And Quinn Snyder was one of those names. I didn't know mm -hmm. Quinn Snyder before he got hired in Utah and he's taken them further than I ever expected. So mm. there's, there's guys that we probably don't know about that haven't been kicking around in our brains um, and some player and some coaching candidates that we have that I, I honestly, I think that Becky is going to get hired this year. I really do. I think it's, I think it's just been time. Everybody's seen her out there in San Antonio. The general public has taken notice. And if she's not at least in the final round, I would be shocked. More people so are calling cool. on it. Yeah. It would be so cool to see uh, Teresa Weatherspoon and Becky Hammond get jobs at the same time. Like former teammates getting yeah. NBA head coaching games <laughs> at the same time. Because yeah. I, I remember when when Hammond was Teresa Weatherspoon's backup for a year or two in New York. Mm. Yeah, that's that would be dope, definitely. And I know Weatherspoon, you know, she's gone viral recently with that whole uh, speech that she gave about, you know, her background and, you know, the people who nays naysayers um, in her life and stuff. So you, you, you think you think she'd have the whole uh, halftime speech thing down, you know, <laughs> rallying the team and everything. So you know, yeah, there's, there's people out there who can do it. It's it's a it's one of those times where we can definitely uh, change some paradigms in in these coaching ranks and everything. And even when you when you think too about some of the player former players who are getting looks now as assistants and mm -hmm. you know. Let's yeah, let's 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 get some new newer faces and names in these in these positions, and you know, do away with some of these retreads, you know, or you know, put them back in 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 the assistant ranks or something, you know, Scott Brooks, you know, and uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm just I like scared. Scott, man. I just I don't know why I don't know why he doesn't work out. I don't know. I don't know. But he, he, he had, I was just hearing, it, hearing him talking about it today. He had, his best season was his first season there in D.C. And it's just been steadily, just steadily went down to assist. They gave him Westbrook again. Mm -hmm. you no, know, couldn't do nothing, you know. So I don't know. But, yeah, uh, I do know one thing, though. I'm on, I'm on the, I'm on the women bandwagon with this one. I mean, I think, uh, I know, Chris, you mentioned you didn't hear any reports. I was watching the jump earlier today. Um, you know, work thanks to working from home privileges. And, uh, you know, they mentioned uh, how she's actually being seriously considered for that position in, in New Orleans. Um, they talked about how there's other, um, there's, there's going to be more of a push most likely, hopefully for African-Americans uh, to get those type of head coach positions, especially the assistants that Kyle mentioned that have been assistants for a long time, or you mentioned, Chris, to get, you know, that are more prepared for those head coaching jobs. Um, and even, even, I mean, even in Chicago at one point, we was going through that process too, right? We had, um, uh, I forgot the dude's name already. That's really sad. But uh, Unsell. Well, like, yeah, Unsell, Unsell uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, Unsell, about, yeah. They were talking about Unsell, like Ime Adoka. Ime Adoka, yep. Yeah, a couple um, people like, dude, and they, they, these names are getting, 
brought up again with this cycle now. So yeah, hopefully right. they'll get some little Jock Vaughn and people yeah. like that. You know, uh, you know Jason Kidd. You know he's had a chance previously, but a lot he seems to always raise up in the in the in these uh, hiring talks and stuff. So yeah, yeah, let's you know let's see let's see what yeah. they can do. You know, I'm actually I'm actually for having uh, especially you talk about in Portland with Damian Lillard. You get Chauncey Billups up in there. I'm, Chauncey, a yeah. I'm, I'm a fan of them getting Chauncey Billups in, in Portland and what they can bring to the table, especially when you're talking about the guard play that he brings, the grit, the, and the and the grind that Damon is all about. Um, bringing that, having that mindset together uh, would, would be ideal for that Portland Trailblazers team. And I believe it was reported that Damon would actually prefers to have Jason Kidd as the ideal candidate for the job. Um, I don't believe, I don't know how true it is, but I think I did see something out there too that said that, you know, Dee Lillard would be a fan of Jason Kidd being the head coach. I mean, at this point though, no matter what, especially talking about a franchise like Portland or a franchise like Boston or um, um, where they have superstar talent there, you have to get these guys involved to, to where they can help see where this direction is going to go. Cause you're going to have to work with those players to get the best quality uh, product, especially when you're talking about in the wins category, you need and, and your superstars got to be happy. Washington is in the same boat. You got Westbrook and Bradley Beal. If you're not getting rid of those guys, you need to bring them into the table and have them with you vet out this process because you're dealing with two superstars that in an Eastern Conference where they have proven, no matter how bad you could be, you can still squeeze your way into the playoff. Um, so. You got to be able to, you know, to, to vet those superstars. We're in an era now where superstars have to vet out those processes because they are the ones that help this drive this drive this boat. And the with the coaching candidates out there, and like we mentioned, eight teams now and searching for new head. I think it's the six or eight teams now that are doing the search for head coaching positions. With a lot of young prime talent out there from a coach perspective, let these superstars help you make the best decision for them. Um, and for the franchise moving forward, because the better the head coach relationship it is with the players, the more you're going to get out of them, the more the team's going to get bought in, and you start to see the change that you really want to see in these franchises. And that's that's the biggest thing that the, any superstar really can ask for when it comes to them as a face of the franchise and where they want to see this franchise moving forward when it comes to championships. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I'm thinking about all these plot lines and all these talking points that we've been going over, like all so many of these things uh, were factored in with the the rise of the Cleveland Cavaliers, and uh, you know what happened. You know, with them getting LeBron and getting a singular talent, and you know they had to lose him and then regain him. Then they they regained him and they went through a bit of a coaching carousel. <laughs> they went they they went through coaching carousels in both of his times there in Cleveland. But, you know, it's just a big epic story that, uh, you know, it's funny here in Chicago, we sort of took it for granted because when we saw through the Michael Jordan era, we just saw them as filler, you know, as, as, as you know, a perfunctory rivalry, uh, you know, that uh, guys we were able to sort of mush in the face and push them back when, when, when they had their championship hopes. With those great, you no, know, really great teams in the late '80s and early '90s, but they weren't enough to beat the Bulls and 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 derail their championship legacy. But um, eventually, the you know the rabbit got the gun eventually, and they were able to, 
you know, get their get their title hopes up in uh in in like I say with the LeBron era and eventually they got their championship in 2016, one of you know the most uh jaw-dropping, you know, uh NBA finals of all time. And uh you know Seth and his his uh, partners over Secret Base uh, put together a series basically telling the, the whole history of the Cleveland Cavaliers and the drought that uh, they were in, in kept, in, you know, encompassed in, not just their franchise, but the whole city of Cleveland and the, you know, the just the hard times that they took as a, as a city and, and you know, very, a very sports uh, frenzied town, but they weren't getting anything from any of their franchise for so long. And 2016, Marked a uh, a sea change for them, but uh, with, let's let's look a little bit of this uh, trailer, which features the uh, the dulcet tones of one Seth Rosenthal. Let me get this up. The new Velvet Fog, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Forgot about that. Seth, do you like you like listening back to yourself? You've done a lot of narration. I'm used to it at this point. You're used to it? Okay. Let me get this. Okay. Maybe you know what's about to happen. We're in Oakland, California. It's June 19th, 2016. Game seven of the NBA Finals between the Golden State Warriors and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Check the score and the time remaining. Barring disaster, the Cavaliers are about to win the first NBA championship in the 46-year history of the franchise. Cleveland fans have waited half a century for this moment. Before we witness it, we must give that drought a close examination. The Cavaliers enjoyed a miracle playoff run in their first decade of existence, only for new ownership to strip them bare, embarrass them at every turn, and nearly rip them from Cleveland entirely. In the 80s, this franchise got a lifeline and built the foundation of a contender almost in one night. But they were thwarted by the NBA's mightiest foes, injuries, bad trades, and yeah, that guy. Cleveland followed another miserable era with what felt like a gift from God, perhaps the greatest prospect ever, born and raised in Ohio, delivered by lottery to his hometown team, only for new ownership and weak management to fail their centerpiece, then drive him away. The Cleveland Cavaliers have died several times, victim of their own bad choices. Yet here they stand, alive, about to win a championship. To understand how much this means, we need to rewind. Like, really, really rewind. You can see there, coming, uh, 
coming up pretty soon on the 19th, a three-part rewinder feature. Very a lot of goosebumps there. Uh, well done, I would say on the trailer there. Definitely makes me want to watch it. Uh, first off, just what what came what uh, what was the process in uh, developing this, and what made you you and your team over there at, at Secret Base want to tell this particular story in in this type of uh, uh, you know sort of epic fashion like this you 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 mentioned as a three part rewinder you know rewinders are typically one video and about 10 15 minutes or so you know you're doing three parts here are, are they going to are the are the individual parts going to be longer or is it just going to be sort of like you know three you know just explain you know how's how's the process how's the uh, project going to be laid out uh, yeah, it's pretty long. <laughs> it's, it's a movie. It's like two hours long divided into two oh, wow. So the first chapter that comes out Saturday, which is the five-year anniversary of the Cavs winning the championship. Spoiler, they go on to win the championship. Uh, <laughs> uh, that first part is about half hour, about a half hour long. And it is, um, as I sort of allude to in that, that's really, that's the first two minutes of the first chapter right there. Um, kind of okay. the preview of the whole miniseries um it's it came about because i i have a big list i have a google document that's just like these are the huge projects i would like to do if i had time um and i i have a lot of fun and get a lot of satisfaction out of making the 10 15 minute things beef history rewinder untitled um but there are certain sometimes things that fit under those series sometimes things that don't quite fit one of those series there are certain topics that I would really love to write about to, you know, do a, do a review of, uh, to cover really thoroughly that just, you know, it wouldn't be doing them service to do them in 10 or 15 minutes. Um, and something I've always wanted to work on was something about Ted Stepien. It was the guy with the glasses you saw, uh, in the middle of that little slideshow who, you know, NBA fans nowadays know him know, or maybe have heard of the Stepien rule, which is that your teams are not allowed to trade first round draft picks in consecutive drafts saved, saved the next from Isaiah Thomas a couple of times. Um, <laughs> but the, the origin of that rule is Ted Stepien, the guy who owned the Cavs for only, he owned the Cavs for three years in the early eighties. And in those three years, ruined the franchise to a degree that basically no owner has ever done that quickly. So my initial idea was just like, I, you know, this guy has been written about in passing and like, you can, it's easy to find stuff about him, but I don't think there's been one comprehensive presentation about how unbelievable, it, like weird and funny and ridiculous and tragic in some ways, but how completely absurd and, and, and disastrous his ownership was. Um, and when I thought about, you know, it'd be cool to make a video about that, I started to think more about that whole period of, you know, half a century almost where the Cavs didn't win a championship. And I realized that, like, there are sort of three points in Cavaliers history where they hit rock bottom. And the initial, you know, the, the line on my big document that I now have crossed out, which feels good, is, and the original name of this project was the three deaths of the Cleveland Cavaliers. And that's basically what each chapter is, is the first chapter is the, the Cavs started to exist in the seventies. They were an expansion team during this era when like 
the NBA and ABA were competing to, you know, plant franchises in different cities. The NBA kind of rushed to get a, a franchise in Cleveland. They got good pretty fast. They, a lot of people think they could have won the, uh, the championship or at least made it to the finals in 1976 if it weren't for some injuries, but they, they generated momentum pretty quickly, flattened out a little bit. And then this dude, Ted Stepien bought the team and, um, obviously his legacy is getting rid of draft picks. I went, I did all this research to sort of lay out, like if they had kept their draft picks, they traded away first rounders in 83, 84, 85, and 86. Had, oh, yeah. You may have heard of some of the people who were drafted those years. Had, <laughs> oh, and they had already traded away 82. They could have drafted James Worthy with the first pick, but they traded that away before Ted Stepien. So that's yeah. five consecutive drafts where they didn't get to use their own first rounder. They, could have had Drexler, Barkley, John Stockton. They could have had any, you know, Carl uh, Malone could have been on the Cavs. Uh, like all of these people, you know, I think any NBA fan, especially nowadays, knows that the, that the draft is the way for bad teams, for, for losing franchises to turn around. It's like the subsidy from the NBA and they completely threw it away. Um, and so that is the first time the Cavs hit rock bottom. And then chapter two is all about, Okay, Ted Stepien sold the team. They got bought by Gordon Gund, and yeah. uh, the team turned around really fast. He hired hired Wayne Embry, who was a terrific GM, who had you know a really good eye for, for for draft picks. He made a really smart trade to get to get Larry Nance, and all of a sudden, the, in in '86, the Cavs just turned around and became what Magic Johnson called the team of the '90s. You know, entering '88. They, they all of a sudden, this really young, really balanced team looked like a championship contender. And then Michael Jordan happened. And Michael Jordan is sort of the second, like, Grim Reaper for the Cavs franchise. Is, is, you know, he hit, well, he beat them a little more easily in 88. He hit the shot in 89. And from that point forward, management sort of freaked out. They were just like, you know, we, we thought we were going to be the team on the ascent. And the Bulls have completely ruined that. And they made some disastrous moves, the chief among them, the Ron Harper trade, um, which we talk a lot about. And I think is not particularly well understood in history, but like did my best to figure out what happened there. But the, the Cavs traded away, like, you know, their, their potential all, like additional all-star, their guy who battled Jordan, they traded him away, you know, when he was having one of his best seasons. And um, then they, they wound up being left to call Gerald Wilkins a, Jordan stopped. Jordan yeah, stopped. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was, it was like Craig Elo giving it his best for a little bit. And then right, yeah, right. Wilkins. But, but even when the Cavs weren't quite as good, you know, throughout the nineties, even after those 88 and 89 teams, the bulls beat them like four more times. I think they were just a nightmare for the Cavs and almost every bulls playoff run included them just beating up the Cavs on the way there. And so that's yep. death number two. And then death number three, we all know, is is they were maybe the luckiest franchise in the history of basketball. Got LeBron, you know, the, the, the prospect happened to be born in Akron, Ohio. And it was kismet. He, he was delivered to his hometown team, like I said. And then they spent seven years just failing him. And we dig into that too. And then he left. And that was the third time they died. And then obviously some things happened after that. But like... <sighs> <laughs> the Cav the Cavs, you know, that that 46 year drought, I think I think the point of rewinder is this moment's about to happen. 
we're watching it on TV. I'm going to hit pause. And I just want you to, before we see this, I want you to understand if what looks, what, if what looks like it is about to happen happens, how much that's going to mean, you know, and to understand the history involved. And I think for that, it, it deserved more than a, a rewinder. And so this is essentially the entire history of the Cleveland Cavaliers up to that point, which contains a whole lot of stuff, <laughs> a whole lot of stuff. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a feature length, a movie length episode of this thing I usually do in 15 minutes. It's completely fascinating the way that you describe it. And, you know, it, it's amazing. Like just the, it's a unique storyline within the history of the NBA. Like usually with franchises, there's you get sort of a, a quick ascent or some steady ascent to championship glory. And then they met, there's a fall off or something and, you know, they come back and, but, you know, like, like you said, there was multiple depths with Cleveland and none of those, none of their rises got them to that ultimate place where they could really reign amongst the champions and, and the best teams of the league. They, they just sort of tasted a little bit of success. Then they completely fell off and died. But, you know, it's just the way that you the way that it's spelled out and everything, the way that you really, uh, you know, pinpoint those multiple depths is really fascinating. And I really look forward to seeing how uh, it's played out on the videos. There's one thing I noticed. Um, uh, I think it's it's the way that it's done. And Seth, I talked to you about this a a bit on um, on my podcast with. The, how you got people together with Secret Base. You know, you started, obviously, John had these long-form videos um, and that he did with Alex, especially when they started Dorktown. And then when you really opened things up, um, when you had Jiajen on the videos, and a lot of the beef history, you know, everything has its own production style. Like, beef history is different from Untitled, is different from Rewinder. But Rewinder, especially this one, evokes some memories and some feelings that a certain, you know, even see like the generation, the generation Z, and even some in our millennial generation might not get. And that's like the Saturday movie of the week. I'm really like getting from that with, and you know, some of that is just like the, the lo-fi value of it, but you get a series like this, a mini series, like there used to be TV mini series in the seventies and eighties all the time. Like that's how roots was shown to the world. And so you had this idea of like, yo, we got to put the tape in. We got to make sure we tape roots no matter what. Get the video recorder because there was no V. You had you didn't have a VHS player. You didn't have a VCR. You could you could play the video movies and then you could record the movies in another one. And when you get something like that stretches out this long, that delves into this kind of history, I think not only does it. Um, really elucidate what the Cavaliers and what them meaning, what them winning meant to a city that hadn't seen a championship since um, since Harry Truman was president. It also kind of takes people back and into that idea of like, let's sit down and watch this. Like you obviously have options. You're going to be watching it on YouTube, but it's still kind of an event. Like let's sit down and maybe put the phone off to the side for a second and watch this. Is, is that something that came from the group as a whole or uh, was that like bandied around in production meetings or, or was that even the idea? I mean, first of all, I, I hope, I hope 
that's the way the way people respond to it. I hope it it's worthy of that degree of attention. But um, the the idea with everything we make is that we don't want to waste people's time. There's a lot of internet video that is even even waste people's time is too extreme. Like we're not looking for a quick answer or a quick story. I I feel very fortunate to have a job where I have the luxury of taking the time to try to research something and understand something better than anyone has bothered to before. And, um, you know, I think particularly in sports and in sports video, there's a lot of good stuff that's, that's, you know, conversation, that's analysis, that's picking up on the news as it happens and processing it quickly. And that's really important. That's, that stuff's fun to engage with. It's fun to watch on TV. It's fun on YouTube. It's fun on Twitter, but we have chosen to do something different, which is to, to step back a little bit from the ongoing events and not worry about last night's game, but try to offer stories from history that A, are engaging, B, are evergreen, and that like hopefully you can watch Chosen 10 years from now and it'll still make sense. Um, and you know, also will help you understand the context of today. I think that you know something I didn't mention is that each each chapter talks a little bit about you know, the three most important players on the 2016 Cavs and how they got there and how that fits in Cavs history. And so what I, what I want, you know, no diehard NBA fan is going to really be learning something from thinking about like, well, the Cavs of the eighties didn't care about draft picks at all. In 2011, the Cavs traded for a draft pick and they got Kyrie out of that. Like they, the Clippers made a hideous trade happened to, win the lottery with I think a 3% chance and that, and then Kyrie got to be a cab. And so that, you know, the first chapter is kind of like, let's think about the draft. Let's think about what this is as labor, as a labor mechanism of, you know, like Kyrie was this kid coming out of Duke who was even with an injury was the most desirable prospect in basketball. But the way the NBA is set up, it doesn't really matter who you are. If Cleveland's got the first pick, you're going to Cleveland. And that and Cleveland got themselves the first pick. And they wasted yeah. that opportunity back when Charles Barkley was on the board. And in the second chapter, we talk about, well, how'd Kevin Love get here? Kevin Love got here by trade. And like trades are another thing where players don't have a lot of control, more so, more so these days, but um but if teams make trades at the wrong time, you can ruin something good like the Cavs of the early 90s did or 89-90 did with Ron Harper. Uh, they did it right when they got Larry Nance, and they obviously did it really right when they traded for Kevin Love, who then ended up playing a huge part in a championship team. But what really does it, and something that's new really in the last, I guess, 30 years of the NBA, is unrestricted free agency, that players – can go out there and say, you've done it right. I am playing for you. None of these teams can, can pick me at this point. I get to choose. And LeBron's really interesting because LeBron experienced both halves of it. You know, Le the Cavs were his hometown team, but there's pretty good evidence that like, he wasn't totally thrilled about going to the cat, the, the 2002, 2003 Darius miles Cavs, you know, with Ricky Davis and stuff. Got but he didn't have a choice. Yeah. It didn't didn't matter. They, he could have went out and gotten you know. In a, if it were truly a free market, he could have gotten a fifty million dollar contract. You know, before he turned nineteen. But that's not how you know wherever he wanted. Um, but that's not how it worked out. He had to play for the Cavs. The second time around, that was his choice. And so I think 
you know, what that third chapter gets into is what changed, you know, what, what went wrong for those first seven years. And in the four years he was gone when he was in Miami, what, what went right for Cleveland, what changed? And part of it was valuing the draft and doing, you know, thinking carefully about trades, but um, yeah, having, having the opportunity to tell that story in depth is not something every sports media outlet gets. And so I, I want to take advantage of it and, you know, not only teach people the history of the Cavaliers, but I hopefully, hopefully it helps people when they watch the NBA draft, when they think about free agency and trades, understand that, you know, that people fought for those things and that some of those things are a little weird and kind of unfair and, and all that kind of stuff. And it, you know, helps you appreciate modern day stuff without me having to directly talk about it. That's what's up. Uh, I, I know, uh, we're going to speed up a little bit because you've already stayed longer than you promised. So I, we appreciate uh, you doing that. But, uh, you know, we, we, we try to get to the end of things here. But but right quick, before we before we start to get to our, our end here, what was was there one tidbit or storyline or anything about uh, Cavaliers and their history that sort of jumped out to you or you know, was sort of an unknown for you before you did your deep dive and that really stuck out for you? There, there's a couple of things. Uh, we have some pretty cool animations that we made for some of the better stories. Um, I, I th- because I wasn't really old enough to be paying enough attention at the time, the way, the precise way in which the Cavaliers lost Carlos Boozer is really weird and really interesting. So, you know, when LeBron got to the Cavs in 03, they, they won the lottery. They were a really bad team. Um, but, and, and part of that was that they had drafted really poorly, but they had hit on a couple later picks. They had Zadrunas Olgauskas, who I think is one of two all-stars. And, you know, we're really stretching the definition of all-star to include Zadrunas Olgauskas, but he was technically an all-star. One of two all-stars LeBron played with in his first stint in Cleveland. They had, they had Zadrunas Zadrunas Olgaskis and they had Carlos Boozer, who um, if they hadn't nailed a second round pick, which they did with Boozer, then LeBron really would have had no good teammates his rookie year. Um, but Boozer hit free agency in 04, or, or the Cavs allowed him to hit free agency because they basically made an under the table deal with him. They were like, we're going we're gonna to not pick up your option, but then you're going to immediately come back and sign a long-term deal. And everyone agreed to it. And then Carlos Boozer was like, yeah, that, I, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what was said in the room, but the, the Cavs were under the impression that Carlos Boozer, they were going to let him become a free agent. And then he was going to immediately resign with them. And it was going to allow him to be paid more. But he looked around in just those couple of days in early July. And I think it was like, he was like a Donald Foyle just got a huge contract. I don't know if you remember Donald Foyle, but like a couple <laughs> yeah. of these like really mediocre big men were signing huge contracts in the summer of 04. And Carlos Boozer was like, damn, this is more money than you were promising me. I know that we had this like probably illicit agreement, but I'm signing an offer sheet. And he went to the Utah Jazz and the yep. the, Caval- the Cavs could have matched it. It was restricted free agency, but they were so upset about it that they didn't. And that was sort of like the first step, the first sign that the Cavs were never going to really, at least in that first stint, never really do right by LeBron. Because if you look back at 03 to 2010, he didn't really get a teammate better than Boozer from that point forward. It was like Mo Williams, what was left of Shaq, 
Anton Jameson, like he, it's it's yeah. really unbelievable looking at the kinds of rosters he was dragging deep into the postseason for some of those years. And so, yeah, the, the Carlos Boozer thing is something I vaguely remembered, but um, is a little weirder than I recall. But there's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember. I, I, now that you speak about that, I remember some of the coverage at that time of and him. Yeah, like I say, within that rookie within that rookie period, because he, you know, is being him being a second rounder, he didn't have to, he didn't have that solidified rookie contract. And so they did, yeah, they thought, they thought it was going to be one, it was like the wire line. They thought it was going to be one way, but it wound up being the other. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and he, he went out to Utah. Then, of course, six years later, he's a free agent and the Bulls buy into him. And, you know, we, we know how that goes, you know, uh, Head head gets painted on and everything, and does a lot of yelling and not not much more than that. But yeah, it it but it it goes to show you, man, just how like you said, only two all stars during that first run for for uh, LeBron and Cleveland, and you know it was almost Herculean the effort that he that he gave that franchise. So I, I guess do you think in some ways that. Was this, or was this an aim at all to sort of recontextualize that first run for him where, you know, a lot of people, you know, villainized him, of course, for leaving Cleveland that first time. And, you know, he looked he looked bad, you know, just, you know, it really no no way to, to mix the words the way that he looked like in that final series against Boston where he just, you know, Almost threw his jersey down. Did everything but throw his jersey down on the on the court, and and stomped out and everything. Like, was that in your mind at all when you were telling that part of the story? It certainly it found me, even if I didn't. You know, that wasn't my intention going in. My my intention was just to tell you what happened, but I I had forgotten so many things. You know, I we mentioned the forty eight special earlier. Going back and watching the two thousand seven Cavaliers who, you know, that was, he didn't, didn't even have Mo Williams yet. That was just LeBron. And the actual, like, there's so much history to cover that I couldn't spend that much time, like, sitting in one game and just going through it. But for that game, that fourth quarter in overtime, we, we devoted a significant portion of uh, that third chapter to that because that was one guy who was, what, he was 23? 22 years old at the time something and the detroit pistons were you know they, they weren't their the peak pistons but they were still an incredible and he just beat them by himself completely you know we talk about what durant did last night and that was lebron at a much younger age with a much less refined skill set and against just an outstanding defense doing things that didn't didn't seem possible and you know as you know i was i was in high school watching that uh and like to me that was the night lebron arrived that was the night where i was like oh my god this might be one of the best players ever and i mean we knew that before that but that really like in a playoff atmosphere was that and so yeah i you know i I don't want to make tell people how to feel about lebron and things certainly got ugly by the end of it um, and he didn't come off particularly well the way the 2010 season ended. But I think people watching the first seven years of LeBron's career and, you know, people below a certain age probably don't really remember it that well, frankly. Um, 
It's been a, it's a while now. <laughs> it's a while now. Yeah, he's been around a bit. I think it's undeniable that on one hand, the Cavs really royally failed him several times over. And we get into some of the off seasons where like he said who he wanted. He was like, please go get me Jason Kidd or please go get me, you know, anybody, just a point guard, somebody get me Ray Allen, get me Michael Red. And they didn't do that. Some other teams, teams like the Celtics, teams like the Magic went out and got the guys that they needed to surround their stars with talent. And still, he did some pretty amazing things and was able to beat, you know, whole teams by himself. But uh, it's it's pretty damning to look at the way Dan Gilbert's, you know, and Danny Ferry's uh, calves just d- didn't really get the job done with him. And then knowing that, in spite of that, seeing how far LeBron was able to take the calves, like, to the finals is pretty cool to reflect on. And I think... It certainly, uh, you know, reinvigorated my appreciation of young LeBron, and I yeah. find it hard. I would find it hard to feel otherwise, but people are going to feel how they feel. It's LeBron. Yeah, I, you know, hey, I'm, I'm I, I, I got all the respect in the world for LeBron. I'm not necessarily here for uh, the over mythologizing of LeBron. <laughs> Because I'm still a Jordan guy, I came up over the Jordan. So, but LeBron is that guy. He is. He, it, there's so much. There is so much that you can mythologize about him. But in 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 the real deal, when you just look at what he did for what it's worth, you know, it's there's no arguing that he is a monumental figure in the NBA and what he's done over the past 70 years was. Uh, I saw something yesterday. The only player to make, you know, they announced the all NBA teams, the only player to make 17 all NBA teams. So, you know, he, he has so many things, you know, be, be they statistical anomalies or, you know, award notices, whatever, you know, it, so many things that back up his legacy. It's amazing. But that 2016, that championship, do you, you know the, the last question I have about this particular series. Like, do you would you say that's the crown that the the uh, the yeah the, the, the that's that's the that's the feather in his cap? I would say, or, or the uh, the main jewel in his crown as far as his legacy. Would you say that is? I think so. I th- you know I th- I think he 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 expressed that himself. Is that doing it for Cleveland, doing it in Cleveland was a whole other thing. Um, and that was, that was entirely why he came back, right? Because he, like, we, you talk about how what Gilbert did and the way that the franchise failed him. It was entirely through his grace, LeBron's grace, that he came back to them and was like, look, and, I'll, I'll give this another chance because I want to give – I want to not necessarily give you a championship, but I want to give Cleveland and Northeast Ohio the championship. And like I said, you know, the, the series is very much a labor history of the NBA. And the reason it's called Chosen is that, you know, LeBron was the chosen one. That was the Sports Illustrated cover. And the Cavs, the Cavs chose him to start with. And when LeBron, and that didn't go so hot. They didn't choose so well around him. But when LeBron came back, that was his choice. And part of it, I you know, people remember this, I think, but like, that wasn't his only choice. He came and he said, we're getting Kevin Love. That that Kevin Love trade that you thought about but decided not to do, 
we're doing it. You're trading Andrew Wiggins for Kevin Love. You're signing James Jones. You're trading for J.R. Smith. Like, you're firing David Blatt. Like, not only, you know, I don't want to overstate. LeBron was not the GM of that team. I think that gets a little, like, simplified or exaggerated. But, like, he was pushing the buttons. He was calling the shots. If he wanted something, and because, again, we're talking about control and choice here, he was on a succession of one-year contracts. The moment he was unhappy, he had all the power and leverage in a way that NBA players, union members, even the greatest, you know, Michaels and Magics of back in the day, they didn't have this this power, at least until late in their careers. He had the power to be like, if you don't get me Mike Miller, I'm out of here, you know? And he didn't always make great choices, but he was making the choices and he went and they won a ring, you know? In 45 years of other people making the choices for the Cavs, they couldn't do it. LeBron got it done. It's a hell of an achievement. It's fascinating, man. It's I'm really looking forward to seeing the videos. They, uh, the first party say releases on June 19th, so a couple of days away. So definitely check out uh, as Secret Base uh, on YouTube is definitely uh, the easiest way to find that. And uh, you know, uh, uh, before I, uh, you know, Josh, Chris, you got anything else you want to throw right quick before we uh, begin to wrap up? I guess the only, I mean, aside from me being excited to watch this uh, series, I'm really looking forward to seeing this set. Um, just real briefly, you talked about the three deaths per se that takes place in this whole uh, series. Is one of those deaths going to highlight the impact Dan Gilbert had with his letter and how he, you know, came for LeBron and, and the way they did it and LeBron's reaction to those things? Like, I, I wonder if that's going to be included in this in this series. It comes up if only because, like, it's very important to remember in 2014, like, you know, if it's I, – I, even myself, I can remember being – I was in Vegas for Summer League in, yeah, I guess June of 2014. No, that doesn't make sense. Anyway, in 2014, before LeBron – oh, no, he signed really late in the summer. Okay. So, yeah, yeah I was in Vegas like for August. Summer League. And I remember talking to my, a friend of mine who used to write for our Cavs blog who was like, I think LeBron's going to come back. And I can remember being like, that is the last thing that's going to happen. So I think, I think it's important to understand like how wild the concept that was because of things like the Dan Gilbert letter, because of the way Cavs fans behaved, burning his jersey. You remember the Cavs fan? I think it was in 2014 or maybe 2013. Someone ran on the court during a, during a, a Heat game and like went up and like touched the. LeBron wearing a shirt said like LeBron come home like people behaved like infants Dan Gilbert and you know the owner of the team included about about LeBron leaving um and it took a lot of rebuilding of bridges and of sort of playing on by on LeBron's terms and meeting with Rich Paul and dealing actually with some other figures from Cavs history um but yeah, the, the Dan Gilbert letter, I, I sort of think of LeBron leaving as the death. And I think Dan Gilbert's letter was like the extremely embarrassing eulogy for that, of him immediately understanding like, oh boy, this is over. <laughs> we are not going to be good again anytime soon, because that was very much the case. But yeah, we talk, we talk about the, the Comic Sans letter uh, in the third chapter. I, I think yeah. the thing um, for me that is, first of all, the labor part, because y'all y'all have... 
Josh and Kyle have been with me on a lot on enough of the shows to know how I how I talk about the labor part of this sports deal, especially in the context of last season um, and COVID and everything that went on. Um, so always, as always, shout out to Randall Cunningham seasons the means of production, which I which is just one of my favorite uh, secret based videos of all time. Me and my roommate will watch that once a month at least. Uh, but I, I hope I don't know how much you can. But one of the moments that it might not is not even really central to this, but the commercial, the Nike commercial that is pretty much like wiped off of, uh, they tried to wipe it from history books. And I feel like there's just a generation of people who are gonna be like the last people, we're gonna be like the book of Eli carrying that. Yo, there was this commercial that LeBron did with with Don Johnson <laughs> in Miami Vice clothes. And it's, I think that because not only was that central to LeBron's mood at that point and his like transformation into um, just being like, he he took the step. He became a villain, but it was like his transformation. When that when the Heat won in 2012, and after Rosen won the MVP in 2011, LeBron became a different player. Like he was shooting 45 percent from three at one point in the season, like three quarters of the way through the season. I was like, "There's nobody who can stop this dude." But that, and then there was a there was a Cavs reaction to it where they just went around to various people. There was guys at a, like a barber shop, some dude like chopping wood, and it was. It wasn't weird. I think it was because, and I, I want to see this. I want to see where this comes out. Like LeBron was still young at that point, and Cleveland fans and Cavs fans had gone through all of these things that it felt like a young relationship that ends really acrimoniously, like what happened at that boys and girls club. Yeah, I, I mean, one thing that the series does not talk about a lot is LeBron's time time in Miami and how his reputation changed, and you know, obviously going on and winning championships. Um, but but it's like I said, I I want people to think about what the draft is and what trades are and how these people who are the talent they are the the whole reason this exists. You know, they they have skills that are worth tens of millions of dollars, and they just. Your, your career begins, your Zion Williamson and LeBron James, your career begins with basically no input from you. And on one hand, it's really weird and a pretty messed up labor practice. And on the other hand, if you're a fan of a sports team, you better hope that they make the best out of that because that's how <laughs> sports, team, you know, that is, that is the league saying like, we know you suck and here's a lifeline. And so it's this weird thing of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a Knicks fan. Like I, I love the NBA draft. It's my favorite part of, you know, because the Knicks usually suck. Like it's my favorite part of the NBA calendar. I I'm, get so excited about rookies. I love like learning about them, but that comes within the context of like, I wouldn't want to play for the Knicks. If I, you know, if, if, if I were the, the best talent coming out of the lottery, I wouldn't want to play for the Knicks. And so what, what I mean to say is that like, the way LeBron presented himself in the decision and during some of the, you know, commercial choices he made uh, and things he said during his time in Miami, I think he regrets some of that. I think some of it was kind of, kind of tacky. But you could like, tell it was him sort of being a character. Yeah. Kind of trying to play a character, but then also yeah. like it is at least worth considering the, the lack of control he had 
even as someone who was already incredibly famous and incredibly valuable to other people uh, at 16, 17, 18 years old, he just, he just became a Cleveland Cavalier. And then the first seven years of his career were essentially wasted because his employer that he did not choose until he signed an extension, his employer that he did not choose uh, did a horrible job building around him. And so like, he, he maybe overreacted in the decision and he maybe over overplayed that role. But like, I can see why someone would lean so far into that, you know, into the ability to decide into the decision and put a capital D on it and like make it a whole spectacle. Like what a big deal that was for him, how long he had been waiting for that. And, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of things he would do differently, but the actual mechanics involved are a pretty important step for him. And I think in the context of all of NBA history, a pretty important yes. step for players. He, you made that, yeah. he made that that thing, that that concept of like, no, it's up to me where I play. I am the t- I am the laborer. I am I am the product. Uh, he made it a little bit more normal for guys to sort of be colder about that and make decisions in their best interests. Yeah, because that's the way it should be. That's the way the billionaires do it. (laughs) Exactly. And in the end, that's I think that's the big thing when you talk about not only this impact on that franchise in Cleveland, but the whole uh, entire league and the uh, the way that he, you know, just mapped out a new way of uh, a new path for for players in the NBA and yeah. maybe and, and throughout sports, you know, you can, there's been some impact in that, in that regard. So it, that's what really makes the story worth telling when you look at it from LeBron's point of view. Yeah. I, I look at like a team like the Nets and I, I'm not going to say this to hold this against them, but like the Nets only had a, a little bit to do with the Nets becoming really good. The Nets, exactly, the, yeah. Nets, the Nets didn't go out and put these players on their team. The Nets had to prove to the players that they were worth joining. They had to, you know, go through these seasons of gradually improving to, to show like, hey, this is a cool city to play in. We have a good staff. We have a good development program. Please pick us. They were, they were begging and they succeeded. You know, they did something right uh, and they deserve credit for that. But like Kevin Durant made that happen. James Harden made that happen. That was their choice. Uh, Brooklyn performed for them, but they didn't have the power to conscript them. And, you know, that becoming normal in the NBA has everything to do with what LeBron did in 2010, even if he did it a little, you know, the aesthetics weren't great. Would that we could all have that same power coming out of college. (laughs) Yeah. I definitely wouldn't have went to Stevens Point, Wisconsin. <laughs> that was the case for me. So, but uh, <laughs> right quick, Seth, what what's your uh, what's your favorite bewildering uh, Knicks first round draft pick? Well, what do you mean by favorite? <laughs> <laughs> well, I I kind of I, I, I kind of was contextualizing it as maybe looking back on it, you can look back on it somewhat fondly or, or at least bittersweetly. I'm, may, I, I, hey, if they, if, they all, if they all are just bitter for you, I understand. But what, what, what's, the, what's their most notable, bewildering Knicks uh, draft pick? <laughs> I mean, I don't, this feels kind of like a cop-out because it's so recent, but I keep, people keep 
doing tweets about how, like, look at the NBA playoffs right now. Look at how many members of the 2018 draft class are having impacts. Luka Doncic, Trey Young, Mikel Bridges, they, and the list goes on and on and on. And the next got Kevin Knox in <laughs> that draft. And I, I don't know if I've mentioned this to Chris before, but, like, as a Knicks fan, as a lifelong Knicks fan who's seen some really terrible draft picks, some pretty interesting draft picks, but some really bad ones, the, the night of the Kevin Knox draft is the night I had sort of like uh, – I, I had what some people would call like a come-to-Jesus moment of just like I, – I was so angry that the Knicks drafted Kevin Knox that I lay in my bed that night like I need to not take this so seriously. I need to – like it's time to – you know, you're a Knicks fan. You're always going to care about the team, but it's time to grow up. You can't be this upset yeah. about Kevin Knox. They're going to keep hurting you. But I was right. I, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> that, oh man, I, that's a great. I, I've had that moment with the Bears and the Bulls. I've had those moments with both of those teams, and at, at some point, you you just you just like, yeah, I can't let these teams do this to me. I have for my own mental health. I got to, I got to grow up and and not let it affect me so much. I love how you said that, man. Yeah. So Kevin Knox, so you won't be it the you'll be pretty rejoicing pretty much when they do let him go. Nothing against Kevin Knox. He's probably maybe an NBA player, but uh probably he was a, he was a bad lottery pick. I think we can all agree. <laughs> what what were your what were your thoughts on this year's Knicks team, right quick? This year's Knicks team was the most fun I've had watching the Knicks in, in my adulthood. And you know. It was a year where I spent a lot of time with nothing else to do except sit inside and watch basketball. And so I remember, you know, when the season started, it was like, well, you know, I I guess the Knicks are here now. Like uh, my favorite TV show is back. I don't particularly (laughs) like it, but like at least it's something else to pay attention to. And I was so surprised, so pleasantly blown away by how exciting it was to watch them. Like, I don't want to overstate the emotions involved, but the season that Julius Randle had this year, like, meant a lot to me. I've never seen that happen with the Knicks. For a player who, you know, during their Knicks career to turn it around like that and to improve that much. And for it to, like, I don't know, this sounds dumb, but for it to happen during a pandemic when I was just so bummed about everything else, like, yeah, Julius Randle having this great year, the Knicks having this surprise playoff season, it doesn't matter, but I needed something to to distract myself. We all did. And I just wasn't expecting the Knicks who out of the last 20 years have had one or two good seasons. I wasn't expecting the Knicks to be the thing that like, I could turn my brain off for two hours and be pleasant, you know, be pleasantly entertained for a little bit. Just based on precedent, I wasn't expecting the Knicks to be that, and they really were. And it, it, it meant a lot to me. And the playoffs were miserable, but like they didn't they didn't wipe away the memory of how amazing that regular season was. And see, those are the special things about riding with teams. Like even when you reach that beyond point where it's like, I'm not gonna be my 13-year-old self crying over these teams anymore would they suck but when you stay with them and they do have these surprising seasons they they could feel still feel rewarded even as an adult like it is meaningful especially you know especially when you add 
you know, other context to it, like the times that we're living in and stuff, you know, it, it's meaningful. So I'm glad that you felt that way. And, you know, I'm, I'm still, we're still holding out for the Bulls. So, you know, hopefully we can join you guys in the playoffs. Do you, and, and it's funny, too, because you guys did it with, like, a third of the team being former Bulls. So, you know, just <laughs> but, but, you know, with what with what you guys got built there, you know, as far as the, the management, at least, the, the guys calling the shots from Thibodeau to World Wide West and um, uh, what's the – Leon Rose. Leon Rose, yeah. Do you think you guys are going to be able to maintain something going forward, or was it going to be another flash like when uh, Car- Carmelo came through and, and, you know, then you guys had that couple years and then you just went back to yeah. sinking? The thing is, like, unlike, you know, that 2013 season, like, they should. They really should. Um, I, I can't say I'm totally convinced that Leon Rose and company – are, are going to follow the right course that they're going to make the, the best considered decisions. But the Knicks have, I think the second lowest payroll in basketball right now. And they made the, you know, they were the fourth seed in the playoffs. They have a guy who's turned into, you know, maybe if he's not always going to be second team all, all NBA, maybe if he's going to regress a little bit, that's fine. But Julius Randall is a, a guy that they can build around. They have young players. They have their draft picks. And they have a ton of cap space by free agency, by trade, by using those picks. They should be able to take a pretty okay team and make it pretty good. And, you know, they have everything a team would want to improve. And then they already have proven that they're able to win. So, like, you mentioned the mellow seasons. Like, that was a team built out of – it was mellow. It was Mike Woodson coaching in a – way that he wasn't totally comfortable with it was a lot of really old guys you know they were depending on jason kidd who was on the government and pablo prigioni and kurt thomas and a bunch of dudes from foreign leagues it was a really weird fluky team Mm. the knicks may not might not improve that much from here and you know there's the thibodeau factor where like they kind of juiced you know five to ten extra wins uh by simply playing their starters every single minute of every game but like Right. This is a this is at least a decent team that they have, and they have literally every tool. You know, we talked about how you build a team when we're talking about chosen. It's drafts, trades, free agency. All of that is available to them, basically more than any other team in the NBA. So, if they know what they're doing, they should get pretty good. Can't prove that they know what they're doing, but like unlike prior seasons, they are good and they have every avenue available to get better. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I, I wish the best for you guys. I wish the best for you guys. So, <laughs> it's so, funny still being in a place where people like want the best for Knicks fans. <laughs> <laughs> well, my my last question, man, before we before we head out, because uh, you know, uh, Chris did a good, you know, mentioned a bit of you, your history over there. And I still kind of I want to bring you back actually and, and talk more about the foundation and the development of Secret Base and how it came from. You know, just being another thing under SB Nation to being what it's what it's, what it's become, but uh, and, you know, and and talk, you know, like so, you guys got so much talent over there, people like like John Boys and Alex Rubenstein and stuff like that, and people who've really made an impact uh, through these videos and through social media and stuff like that, and but uh, 
you know, I, I, I got I got on I got really hooked on you guys and stuff through the beef history. And that was, you know, with you, you know, you were primarily doing that. Uh, now you, you sort of it seems like you sort of handed that off to Clara Morris. Uh, you know, shout out to her. But uh, are you are you going to get back into those videos at any point or are you sort of uh, through with those? Uh, I'm definitely still doing those. Um, you know, I I was uh, producing scripts at a slower rate than usual over the last 10 months or so because I was working on this gigantic Cavaliers future. But in okay. fact, I got a uh, a beef history coming. Uh, Joe Ali, who's another person we didn't mention, who's yeah. terrific young talent at Secret Base, who's editing and writing his own scripts and producing is awesome. But I wrote something that he's editing right now, a beef history about Tony La Russa and Dusty Baker. Yes. Oh, my oh. God. That, oh, card's, that card's Reds fight in 2012. Yeah. A little, a little Chicago action, too. So, yeah. yeah. Cardinals still doing it. And in fact, got one that's kind of in your guys' wheelhouse coming soon. Okay. Definitely going to look forward to that. And, and the, my, my very last question is that – most of your beef histories deal with the NBA. That you you've done them in every sport, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on what makes the NBA so particularly fertile to manifest like these one-on-one -on -one beefs between players and stuff. What what in your mind makes that the case? Uh, well, I'll give you a practical answer and an NBA answer. The practical answer is that I'm the guy who did most of the beef history. I start, you know, obviously a lot more people are doing it now and I like the NBA the best. So most of the beef history is about the NBA. Okay. Uh, sure. But I think the sport itself, I think you don't have, I think you don't have that many players on the floor at a time. I think that's honestly a big part of it. It's five on five. It's really close. You play each other multiple times a season you know, you play seven game playoff series. It's not like the NFL where it's one and done to move or, you know, college sports where it's one and done. You really get to know people in the NBA. Um, and then I think on top of that, there's a ton of player movement in the NBA. So there's a lot of opportunities for people who were once teammates to be rivals or vice versa. There's a lot of opportunities for a coach to coach the same player multiple times. There's just a lot more, uh, sort of chaos and a lot more variation in people's relationships. But I, I do think the main thing, and part of what endears me to the NBA is that you really know everybody. Everybody's out there. They're not wearing a helmet and pads. They're not one of 11 guys on the field or 12 guys. It's five on five up close. Everybody can see you on TV. You know, if you're playing multiple nights a week, it's just like, there's a lot of material. There's a lot. When I go back and do research, People are quoted three or four times a week. People have to pay. It's just, there's a lot. And I think you spin the wheel enough times, some people are going to dislike each other. And I think the NBA sort of just like spins the wheel a lot in a way other sports don't because the schedules are shorter or the teams are a little more, you know, have more people. The NBA really puts you into it. And it, bring, it brings about just some of the best surreal things that could happen like I've, i i love the videos and going back over certain histories and stuff things that i may remember but certain things that i may not have remembered or may not have seen the coverage from certain cities and stuff or mm -hmm. like i like i was younger and just went like you know pre-internet stuff pre-social media stuff like like a couple of the 
the beef histories that stand out to me or like the uh, the Deshaun Stevenson. Uh, what, what, who is he beefing with? It uh, was he LeBron James, LeBron, yeah. LeBron, LeBron. Yeah, LeBron, LeBron, yeah, yeah, the yeah, LeBron, and and you have the Jay Z diss and everything that goes involved. Like that was that was a great one, and another one is the uh, the trio in Dallas when they were beefing, and you had the 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 fake uh 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 God, what's this uh, Tony Braxton's. Mm-hmm. Rumors involved with that, like you go, you only get that stuff in the NBA. Like that's yeah, it's just it's this surreal stories when when it gets surreal like that, or you or you have the whole like the thing with Shaq and um, David Robinson where oh, Shaq yeah. makes up the story about David Robinson dissing him as a kid and you know like stuff like that. That's what I really love about uh, these beef histories that you unearth. The, the the histories that you unearth in, in these stories and stuff is is really great stuff. So I, I really if you, if you haven't watched any of these videos, definitely go to Secret Base on uh, YouTube and check them out. I think if you, if you love the NBA, if you love uh, the history of the NBA, you'll you'll get into those beef histories pretty quickly. And there's so many other other types of videos out of series where Rewinder. Untitled, Seth has mentioned, and you know a lot of the like the the Dorktown videos, like those really in depth, you know, deep dives into certain uh, peculiar things that have to do with sports, like nerdy, you know, for lack of a better word, nerd, oh, it's nerdy. nerdy. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it is, it is. It, but you it's know, called Dorktown. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, but it, you really can go down some rabbit holes with with. Some of the stuff that you guys throw out there, and, and I, re- I really love it. So definitely, uh, really appreciate you coming on, Seth, man, and uh, you know, really great having uh, joy talking to you, and wish, uh, you know, wish you the best on your future projects, man. With uh, with Se- Secret Base, like I said, we love to have you back on to talk more about the process and everything uh, over there. But uh, you know, in the meantime, man, uh, let people know. Know how they can follow you or follow any other you know work that you do and stuff. Uh, yeah, it's it's Secret Base is the name of the the Twitter handle and the YouTube channel. The first first chapter of Chosen premieres uh, Saturday, June nineteenth, and then there will be two more later in the summer. I think early early and then mid July. And uh, you don't need to follow me on Twitter. That's fine. Leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's, it's easy to say when you got about 30,000 followers. That's a, oh. I, I say the same thing, though, too. <laughs> I don't mean <laughs> But, yeah, I, I really appreciate you guys having me. It was a lot of fun. I would love to come back. Thank you, man. Appreciate you, man. Josh, Chris, you got anything else you want to say before we head out? You, of course, you could drop your things, uh, drop your – Social media and everything. Feel free. Follow follow me. I crave attention. Um, <laughs> I've been talking to my therapist about that. No, um, Quandary Kitten, K W A N D A R Y Kitten on Twitter. And um, I, you know, there will be more What's Good radios coming out soon with with people from every corner of of the of the of the country. So, yes, sir. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram, Josh M Hicks Media. Um, Working on now. Now it's an off season for me from from a work perspective. So now I'm gonna try and do some more writing, get back into the swing of things. So 
Hopefully we'll see some things coming out pretty soon. Be on the lookout for that. And I don't mind you following me on Instagram and Twitter. I like the interaction. So by all means, hit your brother, hit your brother up, and I'll probably do my best to somewhat follow back. Hmm. <laughs> I, I, like new, I like new followers too, but see, I like see Seth followed me today. So I he's he has a reason to follow me and I have a reason to follow him. So I mean, I like, have, I mean, can you make an exception for us, Seth? I mean, I'm one of the lone ones out here out of this group. So, therefore, I would appreciate it if you follow me back. Oh, wow. I'm following everybody. Absolutely. <laughs> right, right. You're going to put them on blast. That's job. I'm just trying to join the group. That's all. I'm just trying to join the group, man. <laughs> you see, you heard, job. You heard Seth say you don't want nobody following no, no. us. <laughs> But <laughs> well, no, that's it though for now, man. Uh, this is another great session running with war. Like we said, man, follow uh if, if you don't follow Seth, follow Secret Base and uh definitely check out those videos and uh every all the great stuff they got going and uh keep following us. You know, we uh, I want you to definitely follow this show and follow uh you know and keep uh keep up with what we're doing. We should have another show on Friday. Uh, me and Josh, uh, we got a we got a guest that we were you know put back. Uh, for we're going to have last week. We're going to try to have him on this Friday. Landon Buford, uh, have, we sh he should be joining us talk about some Dallas Mavericks related stuff. There's been some some flickers of a uh, you know uh, controversy breaking out from down that way. So you know we should be talking about that and some other playoff related stuff the latest that's going on of course game six from milwaukee and uh brooklyn will be on thursday so we're definitely gonna be reacting to that as well so yeah we're gonna keep it going uh one of the most wonderful times of the year nba playoff season we uh keep riding with us and we uh go give you all that we uh can on as far as news and perspective on uh this these great games no matter how many uh, people uh, legs fall off. We will try to keep up with what's going on. So hopefully it won't be too many more injuries uh, affecting this playoffs. But anyway, in the meantime, Seth, Chris, Josh, for you, uh, appreciate you guys. I'm Kyle. And as we say at the end of the show, keep bouncing. <laughs>